Today I want us to look at what happens when the Holy Spirit comes. And to help us, we're going to do, uh, we're going to travel back 2,000 years to the start of the, uh, the church, to the very beginnings of our family. And for those of you that don't know what's happened, Jesus has been crucified, he's risen from the dead, he's spent time uh, with a small bunch of followers who are astonished at what has happened, but they are also afraid. And there's a moment when he gathers them together and he tells them that he is going to be leaving and returning to the Father. And it's easy for us to forget now because there's 2.1 billion of us who follow Jesus around the world. But back then, there was only 120. They were unsettled and they were uncertain times, much like the unsettled and the uncertain times that we live in today. And for us, we can feel like a minority. Uh, we are living in amongst a majority who don't know and don't follow Jesus. So sometimes we can feel a little bit like those disciples back then. They would have felt vulnerable, surrounded by a hostile Roman Empire, surrounded by the very people who had crucified Jesus. And back in Acts 1, Jesus has risen from the dead. There wasn't 24-hour news cycle. There wasn't social media to communicate his resurrection. So they had this massive mission on to communicate the good news of Jesus with the world. So what was the solution that Jesus came up with to help them and support them with that mission? What was his solution to ensure they didn't feel like that they were doing it on their own? It wasn't a slick marketing campaign. It wasn't a seven-step program. His solution was a person. His solution was the Holy Spirit, who would be with them every step of the way. So today I want us to look at some lessons we can learn when the Holy Spirit comes. And uh, I want to look at what happens when the Holy Spirit's power and presence falls upon a people. But I also want to look at what happens when the Holy Spirit's power and presence falls upon a life, falls upon a person. Let's go to Acts chapter 1, verse 4. While he was eating with them, this is Jesus, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So the first thing that they are told to do when relating to the Holy Spirit is waiting on him and that there is a place to wait on him. And Jesus tells the disciples to wait. He tells them to wait in Jerusalem. He tells them to wait with expectancy because someone is coming. Someone powerful is coming. And he says wait because he knows that what he has called them to, they cannot do on their own. And this is really significant because these are the guys that have spent the last three years with him in boot camp. These are the guys that have seen the signs and wonders. These are the guys that have seen Jesus die and rise again. But Jesus still knows that they can't do it in their own strength. They need someone else. So he tells them to wait. Who can remember road trips before Google Maps? They weren't fun, were they? 
So um, now, obviously, we plug in our destination into our phone or our sat-nav, and it beautifully guides us. Who can remember the AA Root Finder website? Who still uses the AA Root Finder website? There's a few of you out there. But we would, I can remember years ago, I'd, I'd turn on the old laptop computer. It would take quite a while to, to warm up, but then finally it would, it would go, and I'd put in my destination. And then about 64 pages would print out of all your directions, turn left here, to go another four meters, turn right there. Um, and you'd put the stack of papers, particularly if you're in the car on your own, on the seat next to you, wouldn't you? And you'd be driving down the road on the motorway, glancing at the pile of paper, frantically turning, but I've gone past that sign, turn. And you'd, you'd, ultimately you'd get lost, wouldn't you? Who still gets lost? You still get lost. <laughs> so go with me for a moment, but I'm going to make a very tenuous link here. But imagine, for the purposes of my illustration, God is Google Maps. And he is present in the car with us, driving with us as we go through life. We're waiting for his direction. He gently speaks, he gently guides, knowing where we are all the time, leading us, telling us whether to go left or to go right. The power of Google Maps is present and active in the car with us. The AA route finder is inactive, and you have to keep taking your eyes off the road as you're trying to head to your direction. And more often than not, you get lost. So we've got two choices. We can either be guided by Google Maps, or we try and make this journey by ourselves. But the journey goes a lot smoother when we use Google. And this is the point. There are ways of living the Christian life. One is that we do it in our own strength. The other is we rely on his strength. If you're in a season of waiting at the moment, if Google Maps seems quiet, if God seems silent, and you're feeling weak, you're feeling a little bit lost, then you're in good company. That's exactly how the disciples felt back in Acts. They felt weak. But Jesus told them to wait, to wait for his power. And he says this in verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He tells us we don't have to do this life by ourselves. We need him. We need the Holy Spirit. And there's a great lesson here on how to wait as well. In verse 14, it says this. They all join together constantly in prayer. I love that. They all joined together. That's how to wait well. We do it together. We don't do it on our own. And it might be that you've been rushing around over the last few weeks like a, like a headless chicken, trying to do life in your own strength. And you've forgotten, like me, like the rest of us sometimes, that actually there's an invitation here, which is to do it in his strength and not our strength. We need to wait on him. The second lesson we can learn from Acts when the Holy Spirit comes is, his power is made perfect in weakness. Now, it's a brand new glove I've purchased from Costco this week. Never been worn. Um, now, if I was to ask my glove to pick up my Bible, what's going to happen? Glove, please give me my Bible. Nothing happens. 
But when I fill the glove with my hand, if I can get it in, I've got two fingers in one hole. It's on. That's ruining my illustration. If I now ask the glove, glove, please give me my Bible. The glove gives me my Bible. And that's the same in terms of how the church was back then. It was there in its form, but it was useless until the Holy Spirit came and filled it. This glove is useless unless I put my hand in it. It's only useful when my hand is in it. And that's what it's like with the Spirit when he fills us. So in Acts 2, we see the Holy Spirit come and fill a people. Acts 2 verse 1 says this. When the day of Pentecost came, now just for a bit of context, Pentecost was a Jewish celebration, one of the big festivals festivals that took, took place. And it's when they celebrated and gave thanks to God for the harvest. So people from all over the region had traveled to Jerusalem. We carry on. They were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This is what they had been waiting for. This is what Jesus said, wait for. Verse 6. Verse 5, now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Now these were the guys, obviously, that had come to town for the festival. Verse 6, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And a bit more context here. The disciples were Galileans. And uh, Galileans uh, didn't have a great reputation in Jerusalem. They were considered um, peasants or outside compared to the Jews who lived closer to Jerusalem. So a lot of people didn't believe that these guys would have the intellect or the ability to speak in other tongues. Verse 12, this is what they said. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? The crowd can't believe what they are seeing. And they shout out, what does this mean? And this is such a significant moment because in this moment, there is a realization that what is happening to these people is not just possible by their own strength or their own talent or their own abilities. What is happening is a result of the waiting. And the power of the Holy Spirit is available to us. In our weakness, in our waiting, all we need to do is come with a posture of expectancy and openness and readiness to receive. But the reality is, for many of us, we struggle to believe this. And here in Acts, there were people that struggled to believe that just as well. Verse 13, some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. The crowd thought they were drunk. But Peter stands up and speaks to the crowd. Verse 14, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. 
listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk. I love that. One of the most impactful sermons ever begins with, don't worry guys, they're not drunk. I love that. It's brilliant. Um, And they've not been to a Downing Street party either. Boom, boom. Oh, sorry. I thought it was topical. I know. Um, But as you can see, there were many in the crowd who were questioning this. And they're, they're watching this whole bunch of people who have become fearless. They've lost all their inhibitions. And what Peter is saying here, these people are free. These people have been transformed. These people have stopped worrying about the opinions of others. They've stopped worrying about their circumstance. They've been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we see a group of people transformed, but we also see a person transformed, a disciple, and that's Peter. Now, Peter was a bit of a moron, wasn't he? We know that. He was the friend, and we've all got one of those friends that when they open their mouth, you think, what's he going to say next? Peter was that guy. And uh, his report card for blunders was not good. And just 50 days previously, as Jesus was on the way to the cross, three different people came up to Peter and said, aren't you with him? Aren't you with Jesus? And three times Peter says, no, I'm not with him. Jesus even tells him he's going to deny him. And he says to Jesus, no, I won't. I would never do that. But the very next day, he he denies him three times. Once to a little girl beside a fire, twice more to two servants. Then there was a time that Jesus calls Peter out of the boat and he walks on water and you'd think, oh, this would be the moment that he trusts Jesus the most, but he doesn't. He starts to panic and he sinks. And then there's the time that Jesus tells the disciples that he's the Messiah and Peter rebukes him and Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. Not a great career highlight moment, is it, if you're looking for any kind of promotion? But you get the the picture here. The point is, Peter is just like us. He's just like you and me. He makes mistakes. He gets it wrong. We have good days. We have bad days. But in verse 14, we see the transformation which has taken place in Peter's life. Verse 14, Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. I love that. Peter stood up. The one who didn't take a stand for Jesus when he was on the way to the cross. The one who denied Jesus standing in front of a little girl beside a fire is now no longer standing in front of one person, but standing in front of an entire crowd declaring the goodness of God, proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And here's the point. The difference is the Holy Spirit changed him. The Holy Spirit filled him. And that's what happens when we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us. He transforms us and he changes us. And the Holy Spirit wants to be a part of our whole lives. He wants to give us power beyond what we think we can do on our own. What he's called us to, he equips us for. And Peter gives us all of us hope. It certainly gives me hope when I look at my, my life. He gives us hope. We all have our struggles. But when the Holy Spirit comes, we're changed. We all have moments When life shakes us, difficult times come along. And when we get shaken, what spills out? When you get shaken at home, 
what comes out? Do you end up shouting at the kids, shouting at your partner? When we're shaken at work, what comes out? How do you react to your colleagues, your boss? When life gets shaken, what comes out is what goes in and what we allow in. And for many of us, we've been trying to do things in our own strength. And if we're honest with ourselves, we just need to take a step back and allow the Holy Spirit to shine a spotlight on those areas of our lives that we know need his power to change us. We don't need to strive on our own. He does it. And for some of us, maybe we've been living with guilt. Maybe today, allow the Holy Spirit to help you bring that guilt to the cross. Allow Jesus to take it. Allow Jesus to show you what he did with it at the cross. Maybe for some of us, our lives are just incredibly busy. We're rushing around. Maybe we're lacking time for ourselves, our friends, our family. Maybe we're lacking time just to spend time with God. Let the Holy Spirit just come in and help you. You don't need to do this by yourself. The Holy Spirit uses our weakness, our failures, our anger, whatever it is, to bring us back to the cross so we can see once again what he did for us, his undeserved grace and his forgiveness. When I was 18, uh, I went and spent a summer in the US and Canada. 1994 was the year. I know you're all shocked, can't believe that I'm that old, but I am. Um, and uh, it was around the time the Toronto Blessing was happening. And for those of you who don't know, it was just a fresh move of the Spirit that was moving through churches. And I was in Winnipeg at the time, and a group of us said, well, why don't we go along to this meeting and, um, and see what happens? And I thought, okay, I'll, I'll go along. Now, I was a little bit lost that summer. I'd just finished college. I was trying to figure out, you know, what to do with my life. Do I go to uni? Do I get a job? Um, and so I was sitting at the back of this room, uh, really not engaging at all, watching all these people uh, meeting Jesus. And, um, and I felt a little bit invo- invisible, if I'm honest with you. I felt lost in that moment. And then a group of people came up to me and said, you know, can we pray with you? And I, honestly, I, I didn't want them to pray with me at all. I was quite happy. But anyway, they did. And uh, in that moment, I just said, Lord, if you are here, then I open myself up. Come. And in that moment, I was filled like I had never been filled before. And I had this overwhelming revelation of the bigness and the greatness of God. I could hardly stand. I could hardly walk. There were a lot of tears. There was a lot of snot. It was not pretty. But I didn't care. I did not care because in that moment, I was encountering Jesus And he did something in my heart and he transformed my heart. And I knew in that moment, I wasn't on my own. I was known and I was loved. And that was the point. And I might, you know, I could stand here and and tell you that, you know, after that day, all of the plans came together and everything was clear. It wasn't. But what I did know is every step I took, I did it with him. I wasn't on my own. That's the difference the Holy Spirit makes. 2 Corinthians 12 says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. It doesn't say my power is made perfect when your perfect plans come together. 
It doesn't say my power is made perfect in your strength. It doesn't say my power is made perfect in your talents or your abilities. It doesn't say my power is made perfect in how much money you make. It says my power is made perfect in weakness. When I felt lost, when I had focused on my circumstances and I focused on the wind and the waves around me, I was sinking. But the truth is, his power is made perfect when we fix our eyes on him, when we recognize that we need him and we reach out and we say, Jesus, I need you. In that moment, everything changes. Back to Peter. Peter shows us what a transformed life looks like. And we don't have to stand up in front of a crowd to show what a transformed life looks like. When we're transformed by the Holy Spirit, our lives speak of that transformation to our friends, to our family, to the people that we work with. All we need to do is open up our lives to the transforming power of Jesus. He steps in and he changes us. And what happened when they did this? Verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 were added. Revival came. That's like Soul Survivor Watford tripling in size in one day. Revival came. And what's more amazing about this story is the revival did not happen when the 3,000 turned up. The revival happened when the people who were already there were transformed. The revival happened when the people who were already there were transformed. You and me. And that's the truth for us. In our weakness, our brokenness, here in our little warehouse at the end of an industrial estate in Watford, revival begins when you and me, the people who are already here, are transformed. It begins when we open up our hearts afresh to Jesus and say, have your way in me. And that's the heart of this story. It's not about Peter. It's not about the 3,000. It's not about the crowd. It's about the Holy Spirit and what he can do in a life. Can God add 3,000 to Soul Survivor Watford? Absolutely, he can. We might need to make a bit more space. But what's his plan to do it? It's you and it's me. And the other amazing thing about this story is 3,000 weren't just added that day, but they were completely and utterly transformed. Why? Because of what happened in verses 1 to 7. The Holy Spirit came. The final lesson is this. The Holy Spirit is always available to us. In verse 17, Peter says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Verse 21, And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In other words, if you call on him, he will be there. If you call on him from your place of weakness or brokenness, he will be there. He moves towards you as you call out to him. And then Peter challenges the crowd in verse 22, and he says, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. Remember, they had just seen what God had just done in that place. Verse 23, 
This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. And what Peter's saying here, it was our choices, it was our sin that put him, put Jesus on the cross. But we know that's not where the story ends. Verse 24, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And this is the amazing, timeless truth. Jesus dies the death we deserve. He steps into our weakness, into our sin, so that we can be free. We can know his strength and his forgiveness. Death is not final when we know Jesus. Our weakness does not need to define us. When we allow him in, the Holy Spirit changes us, transforms us, and strengthens us. And then Peter underlines this truth in verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And how do the people respond? Verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, what shall we do? Great question. What shall we do? And there isn't a magic technique when it comes to being filled. It's simple. And Peter tells us what it is in verse 39, verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the Holy Spirit. We simply come. We simply repent. We simply turn away from the things that we've done wrong, our attitudes, our thoughts, our actions, and we ask for forgiveness. And we all need forgiving. And then this verse says that you will receive, not that you might, or it's a vague possibility. It's a certainty. You will receive the Holy Spirit. And this is a gift that's available to us without measure all the time. Imagine you had a leaky bucket and it just kept pouring out. How do you keep it full? The best way to keep it full is just to whack it under the tap and turn the tap on full and just keep filling it and filling it. As much as water's pouring out, you keep it full by keeping the tap on. And that's the same for us. We just come back to him and say, fill me, Jesus, fill me. And sometimes we can be a little bit reluctant to do that. But he says, come. Who's forgotten what a holiday is? Feels a long time since we've seen any sunshine. But my dream holiday, just dream about your dream holiday just for a moment. Now I'm in the Maldives. And I'm in one of those little villas on stilts in the sea. White sand, lapping waves. Are you with me? Some of you are with me. Um, but imagine that you're there, all inclusive. And all you need to do is just pick up the phone and order room service. And drinks and food arrive free as much as you like. And it's the same with Jesus. All we need to do is ask. And he brings it to your door without measure, without a price. He gives good gifts to his children. He is always available to us. We just need to ask. We have got the wonderful gift of being able to look back on this story of our family history. What does this mean 
And what do we do? Those are the two questions the disciples asked back then. Very simply, what does it mean? It means the Holy Spirit was present then and he's still present now. What do we do? We wait and we ask him to fill us. It's a moment just to put our hand out to him and say, I need you. Come and fill me. I need your forgiveness. Come and fill me. Life is tough at the moment. Come and fill me. I'm at the end of my rope. I don't know how I'm going to get through the next day, week, month. Come and fill me. He is here. He is present. And he's available. And you just need to ask.